Well, good morning. We are in week eight of a series on, on Colossians, and we just walked through the book of Colossians, and we're going to zoom in on just a couple of verses today and, and really look at just a few of the words that, that Paul writes as we've been doing um, some bigger passages today. We're really zooming in on something that can hopefully provide some perspective and some clarity when we come up on some things in our life that provide resistance or opposition or that make us scared. Because the, the gospel can give us courage. And if we do the right things, we can have courage in the face of what seems overwhelming to us. If we would just keep stepping forward and keep trusting God, we can keep going in him, then we'll have uh, power to get through what, what we're about to go through. I remember being... You know, 10, 11, 12, 13, one of those ages where I was um, in middle school, and so my decision-making processes weren't completely uh, matured as they still aren't, but, you know, even then it was further apart. But um, we went to Dale Hollow Lake every summer, and I remember going this one particular year, my oldest sister's boyfriend um, went with us, and he had gone to Dale Hollow Lake many times, and so he wanted to come with us and show us some things that, um, that he did, and we were down there, and he was like, hey, do you know there are cliffs that you can jump off of? And immediately, my brain and my mouth had two different reactions. My brain went, oh, no, I don't want to do that. My mouth said, no, I didn't. That sounds great. <laughs> you know. And so there's this disparity growing in my brain and in my mouth because I'm not yet mature enough to say, yeah, I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm like, oh, really cool. That sounds really awesome. Hopefully we'll find time to do that this week. We have such a busy schedule, you know? And so uh, my sister's boyfriend convinces my aunt and uncle and my mom and dad that we should go do these cliffs. And my mouth is just sabotaging me the whole time. I'm like, yeah, I really want to do this. And my brain's like, maybe, you know, I don't know if that's true. And so on the way there, he's telling me about the cliffs and he's saying that there are three different heights. And so we can uh, go ahead and get warmed up on the lowest one. So you can get used to how you need to land and how you need to fly through the air so that you don't hurt yourself because you can hurt yourself. And my brain's like, of course you can. You're jumping off a perfectly good cliff. You could just climb down, but you know, whatever. It's like, okay, no big deal. We should probably warm up. You're right though, for my sisters, obviously we should warm up. I'd be fine. My sisters, though, not so fine. And so we're going there, and I finally see the cliff. And if you've ever done cliff jumping, has anybody ever done cliff jumping? It seems so much shorter looking at it when you're not standing on top of it. And so I, we pull up, and I'm like, oh, I get a little bit of false confidence. I'm like, we got this. No big deal, you know? But then I go to the lowest cliff, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> you know? Like, what? is happening right now. And so I jump off of it. It was fine. It was only like five or 10 feet, nothing, nothing major. Go to the middle one. In the middle one, I uh, genuinely slip off of, and it's the only reason that I didn't hesitate before I jumped off of, because I was scared, but I went up to it and I just went, and I went into the water, but it was fine. It was only like 20 feet, no big deal. We get up to the top, 40 foot cliff, and that's not, 
that's not dangerous. Like anybody here objectively, not in the moment, you can say not dangerous. For me, as a middle schooler, it seemed incredibly dangerous, you know? And so we walk up to this 40-foot thing, and uh, my sister's boyfriend's like, you know, you'll be fine. Just jump off. You got to keep your, uh, your, your legs together and your arms crossed. And I'm like, okay, cool, you know, got it. And again, my brain is like, don't do this. You don't have to prove anything to him. And my mouth's saying, I got it. We're fine. And uh, any men in the room can totally like understand with that where you, like, your ego gets in the way and you're like, yeah, I can totally do this. Probably not, you know? And so um, he goes up and he reminds me again, make sure you keep your legs together when you go into the water. And again, men will understand why, but he goes up and he's like, just like this. And he goes and he jumps and he just this perfect pencil dive. And I wanted him to go first because he's heavier than me. And so if he doesn't hit the bottom, I'm not going to hit the bottom. No big deal. We'll sacrifice him to the rocks at the bottom of the lake. I loved him, but it's whatever. And so he goes, he comes back up and he's like, okay, your turn. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> got it. And so I walk up and then there's just this hesitation because it's like, this seems too tall, entirely too tall. This is 5,000 feet. It might as well be. I'm going to fall a genuine mile down into the lake. But somehow I get myself to take that one extra step and I go down into the water. But I'm falling for such a long time that my brain short circuits and all good judgment and reasoning goes away. And then I start the mistake, which is reaching for the water with my feet. You know, it's like, just please let this be over. And so I'm trying to get to the water faster. And if you're doing this, you're not going to make a graceful pencil dive. And I did not make a graceful pencil dive, but I went into the water and luckily sound doesn't travel very far in water because I shouted, screamed, high pitch. What's the highest note? That's what I hit. And I went into the water and I came out and I was like, you know, gasping for air. And my sister's boyfriend was like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> and my brain's like, why'd you say that? But today we're talking about the moments in life that feel that big. Because there are moments when it feels like you are at a cliff. And it's going to take a genuine test of your faith to see what happens when you take the next step off that cliff because something has come up against your life. Some circumstance, some moment, some grief, some illness is standing in front of you and you're walking with God and it feels like if I take this next step, every logical thing in my brain says I'm going to fall off a cliff and there's nothing good down there. I won't make it through this. And what we can see from Paul today is that we can get the strength to take that one next step. We can have the courage to jump off that cliff and take that leap of faith with God. And he's faithful to see us through. If all you have in you is only just one more step, God's with you and he'll see you through that. If all you have left is, is just one more breath, then take that next breath with God because we can move forward and we can have the courage to overcome what has come into our life. We can have the courage to go through because God is good and he is faithful. And we're going to look at that today. But before we do that, will you pray with me before we dive into to God's word? God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that it gives us life and it gives us clarity and it gives us direction and it gives us confidence that we can rest in you. 
that we can take one more step with you and that you'll be with us through whatever happens. Spirit, we pray that you would be with us today and that you would move hearts and change minds and let us walk out of here strengthened and in your power. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can remember all the way back to the first week of the series, uh, I talked about how the fact that Paul wrote this letter to the, to the Colossians um, while he was imprisoned. And scholars kind of debate over which imprisonment this was for Paul because he had different imprisonments and they're not really sure. And scholars like to argue about things and it's not that clear. But there are two different types of imprisonment that Paul could have been under. He could have been in a prison cell, which is the sort of prison cell that you think of when you picture an ancient prison cell, you know, like bars, whatever, in a prison cell. Or he could have been put under house arrest with a Roman guard waiting right there, um, standing guard 24 or 7 And it doesn't really matter which one it is because both are equally bad because the Romans did not believe in rehabilitation by incarceration. And so that means that they didn't just put people in prison hoping that that would straighten them out and that eventually they would serve their time and get out and be released a reformed citizen. People were imprisoned in Rome because they were waiting to be executed. And every minute you were in prison was one minute closer to your death. And the only reason Paul wasn't killed is because they could never get enough evidence against him. But he was wanted by Rome for causing a rebellion and leading a revolution. And so he was in prison multiple times because he was thrown in by religious leaders, by the Romans, because they wanted to kill him. But we know why, hindsight being, he never was killed. They could never have enough evidence against him. If he was in a prison cell, then it was likely a place uh, called the, the Mamertine Prison in Rome. And it was commonly referred to as the House of Darkness, which was essentially this descending pit. And there were prison cells within it. And, and few prisons were as dim or unkempt or smelly or dirty as the lowest pit that Paul would have occupied. They would have taken him in because they didn't want him to be able to, to escape. And if he was in a cell, he would have been in this lower chamber. And a, a Roman historian, Solus, said that it, of the Mamertine prison, that its neglect, darkness, and stench gave it a hideous and terrifying appearance. That this was the picture that people had of eternal punishment were these type of prisons. It was a bad bad situation. And this is where the Romans put Paul as they were waiting to execute him. Or he would have been in house arrest, which sounds considerably better. But until you consider the fact that at any moment, the Roman soldier could go into his house, take him up and take him to his execution. I don't know if you've ever had any stressful situations in your life where you're waiting for some news and it could be potentially bad news, uh, but that kind of feeling amplified by the fact that you could be executed by the state. Imagine a military personnel standing outside your home and at any, any minute, you could be dragged off to your death. And so any situation is not good for Paul. 
I visited Alcatraz once, and the thing that stands out to me even to this day, and it was, it was a, a long time ago. I think I was 12 years old, I think. I don't remember exactly. But the thing that stands out to me today, I can't really remember what it looks like all that much. I can't really remember, you know, the layout. I couldn't make my way through there or whatever. But the thing I remember for sure is that we went into the solitary confinement chamber, one of them. And the thing that is still present today, even though that prison's been shut down for many years, is the stench. It just smells like urine and not urine. Even still today, and you walk in and it just, it hits you. And they've tried to clean, but can you imagine the prison cell that Paul would have been in? Or can you imagine having the, the Roman citizen, the Roman soldier outside your door waiting for orders to take you to your death? I don't know what I would have been thinking about, but I don't think I would have been in the best mood, and I don't think I would have been as encouraging as Paul was, because you look at what he wrote to the Colossians, as we've studied over the last eight weeks. You look at that, and it's this unbelievable letter where he has so much joy and so much hope and so much encouragement to correct these false teachings that the Colossians have fallen into. And then he's going to get to chapter 4, which is where we are today. And he's going to give a final encouragement. And he's going to remind them to pray, which reminds us, and should remind you today, that no matter your situation, you must devote yourself to prayer. Paul's writing this letter under the most dire of circumstances. And still he makes this encouragement to pray. He says this in Colossians 2, verses 2 through, sorry, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. He's reminding them, as well as he's probably reminding himself as he's writing this letter, or actually probably speaking the letter and somebody else is writing it for him who would deliver it. He's reminding these believers that prayer is the way that you get in tune with what God has for you through the situation that you're in. God is faithful to see you through whatever has arisen around you. And this is written in a time of incredible persecution for the Christian church. And we talked about what happened to, in First Peter and that Christians were being dipped in wax and burned alive and they were being killed because they were causing such an uprising of equality in that time when equality wasn't good for the power structures that existed. And so they wanted to squash this rebellion and this revolution of Christianity. And Paul isn't saying fight back. He isn't saying go cause this. He's saying devote yourselves to prayer and stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Stay alert to what's good in your life and be thankful for those things because here I am even in this prison and I'm gonna stay alert in my prayers with thanksgiving because I've been transformed by the gospel. Stay alert and devote yourselves in prayer. But then he asks for something. He asks for prayer. And he says, pray for me that my circumstances will be made more blessed and that I would get rich. No. No, he says, pray also for us that God would break these chains so that I could go free. No. Come and set me free. Stage a great escape. You'll have power in the spirit to get me out of this prison. Come and get me free. No. He says, at the same time, 
Pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. These chains have no power over me. Yeah, they can put me in a prison cell. Yeah, they could stand guard outside my house. I don't care if I'm in chains. What I care about is whether or not I get to speak the gospel no matter what circumstance I find myself in. And if they're gonna put me in a worse situation, I hope that that worse situation is actually just a better opportunity for me to speak the gospel. Because there's life for all people. There's forgiveness for all sin. There's freedom from all captivity. And these chains don't hold me back. This is just the chain of my current situation. And I hope that these chains afford me the opportunity to tell people about what Jesus has done for them because there is equality at the cross and we can all be sons and daughters of God. And so I hope that these chains, I hope that these chains help me tell that story. And I don't know what chains are on your life right now. But can we have that same perspective? I hope these chains, I hope the way that I lost, that I left this job that I lost presents me the opportunity to speak the gospel and the transformed life that Jesus can give us. And I hope this never happens to any of us, but I I pray that this loss of a loved one gives me the opportunity to speak the gospel Because God isn't imprisoning us. God isn't making us lose our jobs. God isn't killing off our loved ones. But he is saying, I'm with you in that pain. And the pain that surrounds that can be spoken into. And you might be my messenger there. And so will you take that opportunity to tell of the goodness of Jesus? And to tell of the universal work of the cross for those who proclaim his name, that it's good for everyone once they start walking in what Jesus has done for them. So it doesn't matter what difficulty you have in your home or in your job or at school or whatever. Pray for us also that in that God may open a door for us to the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Following Jesus will bring opposition in your life. Opposition is an opportunity to speak freedom to people. That opposition is an opportunity for you to testify to the faithfulness of God through all circumstances and in all moments. You could not possibly judge a movie by a single scene and you cannot figure out God's faithfulness based on one moment of your life. If you devote yourselves to prayer, you become open to how God is faithful to you through time and his faithfulness over your story. It's prayer that aligns us with how God's working in our life. I can remember two times in my life when I was absolutely dependent on prayer. And I try to pray oftentimes, I I fail oftentimes too, but there were two seasons in my life where it was like life support for me. One was in the beginning of 2008. I was about to drop out of college and about to give up on ministry forever because I had had some difficulty in in, um, my college situation and whatever. And so I got invited to do a, a season of 40 days of prayer and fasting with my sister. And we did a Daniel fast for 40 days. And it, you fast just so that you remind yourself that you're dependent on 
God and not food to see you through the, the situation that you're in. It's not some, you know, showing off of, I can go without food for whatever, whatever. But it just reminds you where your strength comes from. And so I went into that, um, that year with 40 days of, of fasting and prayer. I ended that year at a different college in a different state, dating Emily, who is now my wife, which was a miracle for me. I don't know about for her, but for me, it was this massive move of God from death to life. Anyways, and, and so that season helped me through. That prayer helped me through. And if I would have just given up after day two, day three, I would have never been able to see how God would be faithful to see me through. And the second time was when Emily was diagnosed with a brain tumor, not a cancerous brain tumor, but one that, led, that was on the nerve from her ear to her brain. And that diagnosis just rocked us because we had no idea what was happening. And so we just had to, after the diagnosis, go and pray together. And I wish that I could say that I led in that, but really I took the cues from Emily who said in her prayer, God, I don't like this. I don't want this tumor, but we want your will to happen through this. Whatever your will is, see me through. And I'm happy to report today that her tumor is still there. But she's still with us. She can't hear out of one ear. But this is just what we have. And it's her situation to present an opportunity to talk about how faithful God is, even if you lose hearing in one ear. And even if you have a tumor on your brain that you don't want there and that gives you headaches and makes you dizzy. And it's afforded her that opportunity to talk about who Jesus is and how he's faithful despite the circumstances that arise in our lives. And prayer is the thing that puts you in that channel. We must be dependent on, devoted to prayer so that in all situations, we can speak of a God that is faithful. I have a friend who is having real difficulty at work. Sales job, hasn't closed, you know, a, a, a job in many months, and it's getting to be that time where it's a little bit critical. And any time that I see him, I say, how's it going? And he just says to me, I'm faithful. <laughs> He's not going to say it's good. Things are fine. Whatever. He just says, I'm being faithful. And you can't imagine what that has informed me about how I should go into when I have difficult seasons in my life. Devote yourselves to prayer, and God will see you through. In John 16, 24, Jesus says this, Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Or how about this in 1 John 5, 14 and 15 that says, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whenever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Or how about this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. If you're struggling with Bible memorization, that's a freebie. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Billy Graham says this, never forget that God isn't bound by time the way that we are. We see only the present moment. God sees everything. We see only part of what he's doing. He sees it all. He's not forcing you into bad situations, but he knows how his goodness will be shown once you get through the tough situation. If you just stay faithful in him, if you just devote yourself to prayer every day, pray for guidance. God, direct my step. 
God, give me one more breath. Give me one more heartbeat. Give me one more minute because I want to see what you have for me. I want to see what you have for me because this seems too big. Paul got courage by locking himself in on prayer and keeping his focus on what he was on earth for. Because in that situation, in the chains that he was in, he couldn't forget the price that Jesus had paid for us. He couldn't forget the the body that was broken, 39 lashes, the blood that was spilled as his body opened up, the way that he hung on the cross gasping for air, and the way that he went into the grave to put death to death, and the way that he rose again, the, the price that Jesus paid to give all of us access to the Father in heaven was just running through Paul's mind when he was sitting in that prison and he wasn't thinking about his situation. He wasn't thinking about the stench or the chain or the guard outside his door. He was thinking about the people who don't yet know that Jesus died for them. And that was a bigger deal to him than the chains on his wrist. Pray that these chains are just a road for me to travel so that I can tell more people about who Jesus is because he's bigger and he's better and he's faithful than any situation that arises in my life. And I'll take every opportunity, every opportunity to talk about and show off the transformation that Jesus can bring in a life because I'm going to live my life out right in front of you. I'm going to show you what Jesus does in light of what Jesus has done for us. We must walk with wisdom and speak with grace. It doesn't matter what circumstance we find ourselves in because Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says this, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. There's a really good sentiment that often gets attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Like I said, this quote is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. In fact, I have attributed it to him um, in the past, but the earliest recording of this quote is in the 1990s, just some 700 years after St. Francis of Assisi died. And so it's a great quote that communicates a, a good truth but it probably wasn't him. What St. Francis of Assisi actually said was, love one another as the Lord says. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. And let them show their love by the works they do for each other according to, as the apostle says, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. And so I clarify that just to clarify this, that of course we should preach the gospel at all times with the way that we live and when necessary use words but that belittles a little bit the use of words and and telling our story and talking about who Jesus is. And so of course we'll be generous. Of course we'll be kind. kind. We've been transformed by the gospel. Of course we will be nice to people at the very minimum. Of course that's what we're gonna do. And we're gonna give freely of our time and we're gonna welcome people in and we're gonna welcome outsiders with open arms because we were once outsiders, strangers, aliens, alienated by God, by our hostile deeds. And now we're here in the in the cross and we're brought in and we're sons and daughters, of course, our lives will reflect that. But we'll also tell the story of what Jesus has done for us. 
and what he's done to us and where we would be without him and where we are because of him. And we'll use our words to, to sing praise to a God who is faithful in every circumstance. We will walk with wisdom and we'll speak with grace. And we hope as many people as possible come to know who Jesus is because of the way we live our lives and because of the words that we use to talk about who Jesus is, no matter our circumstance. And that happens when we devote ourselves to prayer every day. God, give me, give me another step. God, give me one more breath. Help me go through. And so we're going to take communion to close this time. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted what he's done and been baptized into him, you take communion as a way to remember what he's done for you and the strength that you can leave with. Because death couldn't hold Jesus in the grave. And so fear won't hold us in our current situation. Death couldn't hold Jesus in the grave, and so fear won't keep us from taking that next step of faith. And so we take the, the bread, which represents Jesus' broken body, and we take the juice, which represents Jesus' bloodshed. And if you would, just take a minute holding it and think about, what is it that I need God to guide me through? What is it that I need strength for? And just remember where, the, where you're power comes from. If you don't know who Jesus is and you want to have a conversation with somebody, you can find me after the service. I would love to talk with you. I'll be right down here after service. But after, after communion, after you've taken a minute and remembered what Jesus has done for you and remembered the, the forgiveness that you still need day in and day out, we're going to sing a song together. And singing and worship is incredibly important because if we can get ourselves to declare with song and with worship the faithfulness of God through it all, maybe our lives will follow when our feet don't want to move forward. And so in this moment, surrounded by friends and people brought together by the cross, brought together by the goodness of Jesus, can we just sing that he is the one thing that remains no matter what circumstance we're in? He's the one thing that is constant no matter what happens in my life. And just declare that with some semblance of, of confidence today. You respond how you want to respond in the song. If you want to stand and sing and sing it as loud as you possibly can because you need a little bit more faith and maybe if you just declare to him, you'll get that extra faith. And if you just want to listen today, and just hear other people singing that confidently because that'll remind you that I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only one that needs extra faith today. If you want to sit or stand or whatever, just let the faithfulness of God be the thing that ends today. That we walk out of here knowing that it's not some, some song that we sang, it's not something that we did, but it's the faithfulness of God that will carry us through no matter what happens in our lives. We pray with me before we take communion. God, we are blown away thankful that you would use people like us to carry your message forward. And we pray that we would devote ourselves to talking to you every day, to pray to you without ceasing. God, show us what that looks like. Show us how to ask you for the right things. We love you. We're thankful for your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray.